Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I'm talking with Vinu Vijay, who is the CMO of H&R Block. Vinu, hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to have you. And you know, it's a it's a funny story we were chatting about earlier because it's been almost oh, almost two years since I had Jeff Jones on the show, who's your CEO. And that was way back in March of 2018. And what was interesting is in, in his podcast on CMO Moves, then he was talking about actually shopping for a CMO. And then voila, you appeared a month later. So congratulations, although it's been two years, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I actually saw that he had done the podcast. And so I went and listened to it. It was before I had joined. So I hadn't heard it at the time. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was great to sort of revisit that um, and see, uh, see what he said. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's definitely a, a former marketer and a savvy one at that because he was marketing for the role on the podcast itself. So I, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> uh, so, but he is indeed the CEO and doing a lot of great things uh, alongside of you. And I'm excited to hear what's new at H&R Block and, and more about you and why you decided to take on this role. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny because at the time that you were doing that, I had actually left corporate life and I was living uh, with my family in, in Manhattan Beach in, in LA and uh, thought, I, thought I was really, you know, finished with, uh, with that life. Uh, I'd had a great career. I had some great opportunities and I felt really good about my accomplishments. And then this thing just came out of the blue. And what I just loved about it is that it's a company that serves 20 million customers across the country with something that is so materially important to them in their life. For most people, tax day is a day where they get a giant sum of money that they don't otherwise normally get. You know, you get this chunk of, uh, chunk of money at one time in the refund. And it was, it's a place that already has sort of these, these core elements that make for just a great customer value proposition, not just in tax, but in financial products, I don't know if you're aware, but we're actually the third largest issuer of debit cards in the country. 
Um, so we already had all these core elements that make for uh, fantastic value for clients. And I thought it was just an amazing uh, opportunity to make a difference in, in a material way in the marketplace. Yeah. And interesting, I did not know what you just said, but can you elaborate a little bit on that? Like, tell us a, a bit about the portfolio of products that you have. Yeah. So, so obviously we have taxes and we have taxes in two forms, um, two basic big forms and, and many variations of it. You can do it yourself using online software, or you can do, you can have a tax pro do it for you. And in both scenarios, you can get help. And in the scenario where a tax pro does it for you, you can do it in person or you can do it virtually. Um, so that's the core. But then we also provide uh, financial products. Uh, so we have a product called Emerald Advance, Refund Advance, and Emerald Card, uh, which are our core uh, loan products and, and, and debit card uh, that uh, when a client goes in, does their taxes, they can walk out with their refund on their card and start spending. Wow. And yeah, and then we also have a number of ancillary products, uh, warranties and other credit protection uh, products that we also offer. So it's a fairly robust set. And that's just on the consumer side. You know, I could go on into the small business side, which is an area of great opportunity and growth for us, where we've also got a, a fairly robust set of products. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, so give us uh, the, the quick view on that too, because it's, it's interesting to hear the, the large range of products that you guys have. Yeah, yeah. So on the small business side, we, we of course do taxes for many clients, small business taxes, as well as consumers who have small businesses that file with us. And then we have uh, bookkeeping, accounting services, and other small business services. Uh, and you may have read that uh, we uh, acquired Wave, which is uh, just a phenomenal uh, bookkeeping and accounting software uh, company and, and, and product suite uh, that's based in Toronto. And so they're also part of our portfolio that services small businesses. Great. Wow. And what a time to be in the tax business. We are a few days away from the deadline. How's that going? <laughs> <laughs> if you can hear the stress in my voice, it's, it's that. <laughs> so you're, you're recording me five days from the new tax deadline. As you know, normally the tax deadline is in mid-April. But with the COVID crisis, uh, everything changed and the deadline was moved to uh, July 15th. And normally, uh, clients file usually the same time every year. I don't know what your experience has been, Nadine, but normally if you file on date X on last year, you'll file the same date for the following year. But this year that was thrown into a little bit of a turvy because uh, now you had this new deadline date. So procrastinators will tend to you know, wait until July, uh, including myself. I'm, I'm one of those folks I just filed mm -hmm. yesterday. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, so we're really in the heart of finishing out the tax season uh, for so many clients and there's still millions left to file. And so, um, so I encourage you, if you haven't filed and you're hearing this podcast before the 15th, get in there. Yeah, get in there. Yeah, I was telling you earlier, you know, for once in our life, or at least once in the last 10 years, we filed early and, and, I, was, and I was like, wow, because every year we have to file a, an extension. Um, so we, we're actually not stressed at all right now for that purpose, which is good. Uh, other, other things going on. But you mentioned a couple of things. So one, what's, what's it like being in the mad dash to the finish line right now for everyone in your group and your company? And then two, you mentioned COVID. I want to come back and talk about that and the impact to your business. Yeah, the two this year are, are incredibly interrelated um, because we are having this mad dash. And what that really means for us is that the volume of clients that uh, use our services just you know grows exponentially every day. So every day from now till the 15th, we have more and more clients coming in. And we want to be able to service them all in the same 
level of excellence. And so that puts a lot of stress and pressure on our teams. They have to work longer hours, uh, make sure that we you know, commit to our service requirements and get it done. And so there's that stress of just getting, getting through the season end. Um, but also now the COVID element has really added this layer of um, in, uh, incredible complexity, but at the same time, it's a moment of incredible pride for us as a company. The complexity comes from the fact that we want to make sure that our offices are safe for people to file, that our employees are safe, that our customers are safe, and that they have ways to file that uh, aren't dependent on them sitting face-to-face -face, uh, if they are not comfortable with that. Uh, and so we have, you know, we created this year uh, sort of components like digital drop-off, and we even have uh, pilots in certain markets where we'll go pick up the uh, tax forms from you from your home. Uh, and we've done other things like that to continue to reinforce the idea that whatever it takes, we'll find a way to help you get your taxes done safely. Um, but going back to the point of what COVID has taught us, which I'm you know, really, really uh, proud of as a company, is it made us do a material pivot around February, February, March. Because if you remember that time, it feels like eons ago, um, but you know, it was really not that long, not that long ago. Um, what was really happening then uh, was we suddenly realized that uh, we've got uh, this real challenge in the country, uh, a crisis where, where our employees' health was at stake, our, our clients' health was at stake, and our business health was at stake because we, you know, we get the bulk of our, of our tax business coming in during this very short uh, period, and then that period is disrupted. It really does add a level of challenge. And what we started to do was change every part of our business to accommodate for this new reality. And we're talking obviously here uh, to CMOs, a lot of CMOs, so I'll, I'll give you the CMO example that, that I'm really proud of. So for us, what we did was we started to recognize that we had to change our mindset from a campaign orientation to a journalist orientation. What that practically meant was every day, we didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. Because if you remember those old early days of the, of the crisis, we didn't know how big it was. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what the, what the, uh, what the change to the, uh, the tax deadline was going to be. We really had so many unknowns. And campaign orientation has that view of, you know, let's figure out the problem. Let's create the response to that problem. And then let's distribute it through various channels and great creative deliveries. But our challenge was more journalistic. It was more, what do we know? What do our clients need to know now? And how do we get them that information today? And that really, really repivoted the way that we were delivering content on the site, communicating with clients, and then creating things like the, uh, the COVID site, this, the stimulus calculator, all these little widgets that helped us uh, do as much as we could with the knowledge that we had uh, serve our clients and community. So that is amazing how many things pivoted. Uh, and when you think about, well, I didn't even ask you this up front, but uh, let me ask you now, like, what does your team look like? And how did you manage your team through this? Yeah, I mean, uh, kudos to them, you know, they did a they did a phenomenal job. So so I have accountability for four areas within the company. So we've got marketing, uh, client experience, which includes the website and all the content there, as well as how our actual experiences are designed. Um, financial products, which I mentioned earlier, and then corporate communications. 
So if you think about those areas and the, the relevance of those to a moment like COVID, they were all you know, very, very important to how we were able to service the client. And so uh, every one of those teams, as well as teams that go beyond uh, the marketing function, just I thought did a phenomenal job. And it taught us um, how much we're capable of, of change and how much we're capable of, of a transformation as we look ahead into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's interesting is, is it sounds like you were all operating very strongly as a team. And, you know, most people I chat with, when we talk about the early stages of COVID, they really struggled in the sense that the teams had to learn how to work remotely and how to do things differently. Was that a a factor for you or were you guys already set up and geared to work remotely? How, how did you approach that? Well, we hadn't been set up to work remotely per se, um, but the transition was relatively quick. So in the early days of it, we were, we had, we had our crisis room and, and that was in person. And then uh, we made a decision relatively quickly during one of those crisis meetings that uh, it made sense for us not to be in the office and for our employees not to be in the office. And so, uh, so we made that decision relatively early in the process. Um, and that meant uh, a number of changes that my colleagues really had to do, our IT teams and our product teams, to make sure that the products could be serviced, that we had the right technology on our desktops to be able to have these kinds of conversations uh, uh, from our home. Um, so there was a lot of things that had to happen. I'm not as familiar with it because I was only the beneficiary of it. But, uh, but yeah, we ended up working remotely pretty quickly. And uh, I, if I were to give it a, a judgment, uh, I, I don't think we skipped much of a beat. Yeah. I mean, it was clear. I remember when Jeff came in to host a call with me and he was probably one of the calmest people I've seen in the early stages of all this. Uh, so <laughs> I was like, okay, something's going right over there. Um, well, fantastic. Now I know that you are working on so many huge initiatives. And when we were talking uh, the other day, I think it was a, was it only a week ago? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to pause and think about that. Time is just a different thing. these uh, days. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, well, I, we were talking about a topic that is very, very obvious to anybody who knows me near and dear to my heart. It's also near and dear to so many people. And, and especially with the heightened focus around social injustice and racism, but you've done a lot in the space around diversity and inclusion, and, and you're doing a lot, not just personally, but through H&R Block. Tell us about Make Every Block Better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the, 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 I, I, let me, I'll get to Make Every Block Better in, in the second sentence here, but I want to start by just acknowledging what a moment it's been over the last two, three months that is in some sense really, uh, really ex exciting to see because companies, leaders, um, people of all walks of life are stepping in and recognizing a new truth and a clearer truth than they may have ever recognized before that you know, racism is a real problem, black lives matter, and we have to do something material to change that. And that, you know, that clarity and conversation, um, you know, I wouldn't have said maybe six months ago, and uh, that makes me sad now that I wouldn't have done it. And, and so I'm really, really happy to see so much, uh, so much change so quickly at this moment. But going back to Make Every Block Better, that's something we did start in November, December of uh, 
2019. So uh, six months ago, seven months ago, time again is having a different meaning right now. (laughs) (laughs) But we had this belief that we felt really, really passionate about. And that belief was, I'll I'll start with an anecdote that'll set it up. You know, loneliness is deadly. And this information has been out there for a while. Um, you know, loneliness is, a, is an element that is as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And there's a loneliness epidemic going on in the States. Um, three, to five, three out of five people in the US, according to a Cigna study, which uh, uh, is very recent, um, say that they are lonely. These are three to five adults, uh, three out of five adults. That's um, tragic given the impact that that has on people. So what drives, so that's one data point. The second data point is the notion of longevity associated with zip code. Another uh, another point that it's just very sad to know that we haven't done enough about. So I'm, I'm in Kansas City right now. If I go just, you know, a mile from where my house is, where I'm sitting right now to the zip code right next door, the life expectancy drops 15 to 20 years. That's crazy. And it's because of the, uh, the, the stress factors and other conditions that create health that are just not there. And so you look at loneliness and you look at the disparity of longevity based on where you live. And what that said to us is we have got to do something about the communities that we live in. I mean, we're in main streets everywhere. I mean, we have 10,000 offices, we have 80,000 tax pros, and we're across the country. So we are, we are living in these communities. Our employees are living in these communities. And so that sense of, uh, you know, if we don't do something, who will? We have to step in there and do something about it. We felt very, very passionate about. We didn't know what it was gonna be, but we decided to just jump in and say, we will figure it out. And so we coined this idea of make every block better. And the heart of it was let's create a virtuous cycle where we are helping entrepreneurs in communities and creating community spaces and helping community spaces be more alive in communities so that there is more velocity of commerce, more velocity of relationships, and that that in itself will help mitigate the challenges of loneliness and the challenges of um, uh, uh, stress in, uh, and longevity differences between markets. And so that practically turned into investments in uh, funds that are helping communities, investments in organizations like Urban Neighborhood Initiative that are doing something about it in practical ways, um, part, uh, unleashing our employees in these communities to help and engage. And so we did this in December and we started to do a bunch of things and then COVID came and it made this problem even more uh, relevant. Um, And we haven't, you know, figured out all the ways that we have to get through this within the COVID context, but that purpose and passion and desire and commitment to do something under the construct of our make every block position, make every block better position is something that we are totally committed to. Amazing and uh, very much needed. And, and I'm so happy that 
you actually started this, like you were saying, gosh, was it seven, eight, nine months ago? Because you were in a position then to actually have even more impact in the last few months. So kudos to you for, for getting that started well before uh, this time period. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And, and it, it'll continue, right? I mean, one of the other elements is that loneliness accelerates as you get older. And so all these things sort of interrelate. And so just creating rich, vibrant communities and rich, vibrant um, entrepreneurship is just so critical, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things we were talking about last week when we, we first were talking about make every block better, I asked you a question because it's top of mind for a lot of marketers who want to do a lot in diversity and inclusion and have to make a business case for it uh, to justify a lot of their activities. In some cases, you know, not so uh, required as others where we all know it's just the right thing to do and it will ultimately drive growth both inside and out. But you had an interesting perspective on how you justified the ROI of your activities. Do you want to share that? Yeah, you have to remind me, Nadine. It's been a week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will remind you because I remembered it. Um, you basically said we were we looked across everything we were doing and we were spending a lot of money in areas that had no meaning to us and weren't doing much. So we took it and re right. reapplied right. it. Yeah, yeah. So that now I, I remember what you're talking about. <laughs> so like most companies, when we, you know, it's not that companies don't invest in community activities. They do. But a lot of the community activities aren't felt by either the employee or by the community. And it had become sort of a BAU thing that just happens. You know, there's, there, there's tickets to this event, there's, you have a seat at this table, and it just sort of continues. And there's investments made, but they aren't pointed, and they aren't getting the leverage that they really can. And so we didn't go out and ask for a bunch of money when we did this. What we did was we said, what are we already spending? In, across the enterprise in various parts of the business? And can we use that spending in a way that is more directed towards the singular cause and allow the, 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 the employee's passion to more clearly come through against something that we knew our employees already believed in or were already doing things in, we were giving them the platform to galvanize them. And so that's basically what we did. Now, I, I will say we did up the investment. It's not all we did, um, but that was a great place to start. Um, and then we added to it. And, and a lot of that happened, uh, frankly, because, you know, uh, the leadership team of the company believed in it. Uh, you know, so it starts at the CEO. And if the CEO believes in it, then, then it really makes a huge difference to how the organization uh, rallies around it. And, uh, and that, that was the case with this. Yeah, you know what? It's really interesting. As you're talking, I'm thinking back to what we were just talking about. And it occurred to me, I'll have to go back and check the transcript here. Um, <laughs> but it occurred to me, not once when we were describing these activities, I started by asking you around diversity and inclusion, but you kept using the word community and the difference in the zip codes. And right. for a listener tuning in, I want to make sure we, we help them make the connection between what we're talking about, because you and I are so entrenched in this. We, we kind of, I think, take some facts for granted. Right. So there are certain communities in our world, which we know, which have inequity in our world, which creates inequality and therefore puts them at greater risk and for lots of things, health, 
uh, economics, uh, well-being, and eventually leading to loneliness. So all the work that you're doing is squarely in diversity and inclusion because those inequities need to be solved for. And that's what you're talking about. Did I get that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. And it's, it's not an either or scenario. So, so part of what we are saying here is, you know, there are a number of things going specifically to the DNI conversation that we are, that we are proud to be doing, um, um, you know, in the, in the classic sense of, you know, we, we, are, we, are, we are making investments uh, in making changes to how we recruit, committing ourselves to uh, hiring in a different way so we, are, so we have more Black employees. We are making changes to the way that we choose who we um, uh, partner with from a business perspective so that we are investing more in Black businesses. So those things are there and we are getting more and more specific about it. What I want to add to that, and that's what this addition is of, of, uh, of our make every block better element, is we are also committed to finding ways of making diverse communities better. And that has the, the added effect of impacting those communities in a, in a very material way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hats off to you because I really appreciate those efforts and um, it's a big one. And you found a way to connect purpose and cause with societal good and who would have thought that about frankly a company who is known for taxes right so you know it's a challenge a lot of marketers have is how do you find your purpose and and connect those to your causes um and for you to be able to be personally anchored with personal purpose against the same business purpose is is phenomenal so that's a great achievement. Yeah, I don't know if you've, if you've heard it already, but the, um, our purpose statement is that we help and inspire confidence in clients and communities everywhere. So we don't actually say tax in our purpose statement. Mm-hmm. What we talk about is helping and inspiring confidence in communities and clients. And that really stems from the heart of what this company has been for 60 plus years. Uh, it is a community company. You know, our, our tax pros are like... Um, the you know local doctor they're respected members of the community that help people get their taxes done and get their refund and so that that ethos has been so much a part of what this company's already been about what we were really doing was um, re-energizing it and underlining it I love this fantastic okay well we are going to be almost out of time here soon I have so much more I want to ask you about um Let's, let's switch gears for just a moment because I, I could ask you a thousand more questions about this. Did you ever think in your career that you would be the CMO of a company like H&R Block? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in, in, in India and Indonesia. And so if anything, I would have first said, I didn't think I'd be in the States. Uh, and here I am. And I would have said, um, I would have, guessed I would have ended up being, um, you know, uh, sort of a, uh, a middle of the road, uh, doing something hopefully valuable in the community and being a part of some uh, small team. I never had any imagination of anything larger than that. And it just so happened that every sort of career moment that I went through, um, something sparked in me an interest in elevating what I was doing. And that, that just, that just caused a next thing, next 
thing to show up. And, and it's been from that, like that from my early days of working. Wow. And, and what are some of the things that really sparked your interest and got you into marketing to begin with? Like what, what are the things that you're passionate about in marketing? Yeah. At the end of the day, marketing connects dots in ways that um, I find fascinating um, because at, you know, marketing is everything and nothing, right? It's mark, it's communication, it's business strategy, it's uh, experience, it's value proposition, it's ideation, it's transformation, it's leadership. There's just so many components to it. It's hard to pin it down. Like if, you know, if my, my mom asks, what's your job? What's marketing? I can't really explain it <laughs> because it's all these things that, um, it sort of depends uh, what you need to get done. But what connects them is that a marketer tends to be really good at finding connections between things that don't normally get connected. And in the connection is the power of something new. So that's what I love about marketing is that it's always challenging you to re-identify how to do something different and better and uh, more, uh, more compelling for a client. And that doesn't happen by just classic incrementality. That happens from finding a different way to view the problem, which means connecting dots differently. I love this. Okay, you just connected some dots for me, which is interesting because we talk a lot, especially through our mentor program, we have an executive mentor program, where it's really important when you connect with a mentor uh, that you're, you're clear on what that mentor's superpower is because you're going to mm-hmm. need lots of mentors in your life and they're going to be able to help you with, with lots of different challenges in your life. But it's really key to like zero in on those things. So we have this uh, interesting banter going on around, which is what is your superpower? Well, my superpower has always been I'm a dot connector. And I happen to be in marketing, but until you just explained to me that being a doc connector is marketing, now I realize why those things go together. So thank you very much. So <laughs> fantastic. I guess and it's not so much a superpower you... anymore because I didn't connect those dots. Shoot, that just <laughs> no. You are indeed a dot connector, and you're doing it every time you're talking to someone even more, right? Because you're hearing our stories in a way that we're never going to hear them because you're hearing all of them side by side over the course of the, the many days and years that you've done it. And that's, that's an awesome superpower. I want that superpower. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know, you're, you're correct again, because as you're talking, I, I get flashbacks to some of the other podcasts. I, I, I really love, by the way, when you started talking about marketing as journalism and, you know, Diego Scotti actually was one of the first people I heard say something similar in his podcast right before Jeff Jones, actually. Oh, um, right? yeah. Yes. And he was talking about the, the role of a marketer needs to become a journalist um, and, and not just a doer. And I, I don't think we've talked about that enough. So I, I am grateful that you brought that point up again, because it reminds me of how powerful that is as a statement and as a mission for a marketer. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And then you reminded me of Charlie Cole, who's now the CEO of FTD. And he was talking about how to leapfrog incrementality. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, we can't be at it for small gains, you know? And so I, I love your point around, it isn't just about incremental gains. It's, it's about really going beyond and, and making true change. So 
tell me, tell me a couple examples of where you feel like you've actually been able to achieve that because that's massive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a story from, from a long time ago, but it was what sort of peaked me into this world. When I first started working, I was working at FedEx, uh, and this was when relational databases had just come out. And so um, database marketing was the thing of the day, and we had this little data dictionary, and you would look up things and you know make SAS queries and you know find out information about clients, maybe make a list. Um, and so that's how I started. And as I was doing that, one of the things that became very obvious uh, to several of us, uh, including myself, was we had a chance at FedEx to service smaller clients that our sales team was not able to reach because they were too small and give them a loyalty program or a reason to ship more with us. And that simple idea translated into, and I was a very junior person when I was at FedEx and did this, um, came up with this concept called FedEx Business Bonus, which was a very simple variable discounting mechanism that said the more you ship, the more you save, and every month it resets. So every month, if you ship more than $100 of shipping, we'll take 8% off your bill. Now, this sounds very obvious, but this, was, this is now 25 years ago or so. Um, but that's the power of a relational database that you can actually use direct marketing to run a program. And, and so that we built that program, it became something that became ubiquitous in, in FedEx and, and was um, then became uh, internationally what was used. And I managed the loyalty marketing group for a while after that. Um, but that's the, that's the sort of thing that, you know, is that marketing? Well, sure, it's direct marketing, but it really was the ideation of a new way of engaging clients in a new value proposition. And that happened because we were at the intersection of the use of this new technology and the needs of our client. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, we have time for just two more questions and these will be fun ones. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I would love to dig in even further with some of the cool things that you did throughout your career, but based on all the cool things you've done, here's the first of the last two questions. What tips would you give a marketer today? Uh, I'd say the biggest thing is continue to be uh, developing uh, your skills in terms of what marketing is really capable of. There's a lot of narrative, and I think it's important that marketing, you know, takes on more leadership sort of a, a position and has more of a business orientation. I think that's really, really important. But part of what allows a marketer to have that presence is that they have a deep understanding of what it is that actually drives customer behavior. And, uh, and I think that that's changed so much and is changing so much that excellence and average is starting to separate out a little bit. And so retaining that excellence, I think, is a really important part of being an excellent marketer. The other thing I would say is just to the point of leadership and business acumen, that is absolutely something that is important because what can very easily happen for a marketer is that they start talking marketing language and forget to talk business language. And the way that great marketers, I think, are able to, um, are able to work is that they're able to do both and be able to translate context from one to the other. So just talking about business, uh, media, metra, media or campaign metrics without being able to contextualize it within business metrics 
is really something that can cause a lot of disconnects in companies. And so a marketer has to be able to bring those two together and continue to build the skill to do that. Wonderful. And you are so right. In fact, that the last point that you made around financial acumen and translation from marketing to finance is going to become a masterclass that we're going to be hosting at Brown because it is so incredibly important and misunderstood. So, um, couldn't agree with you more. You'll have to come be one of our professors. Uh, how about that? <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> I would love to have you join us. Um, okay. My last and final question for you today, because uh, it sounds like you're going to come teach a class with me, is uh, if you weren't a CMO and money and talent were of no object, what would you be doing? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, um, I, I would love to teach people how to cook. And I know it sounds nuts, but I just, I think that like, if you learn how to cook, you become a better eater, you become a healthier eater. And I just worry that people aren't learning how to cook enough. <laughs> so, so, so I would have loved to just be a cook teacher. Like if there's a job like that, I would love it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I never, that's really cool. Um, there, so you would be a cook with purpose to have people that's eat right. healthier. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, we need a lot of that. So yeah. let's let's come back to that one day because that could be really an interesting new move for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I may have missed the boat on it because I, I, there are a lot of like internet people that are doing it now, but I would just love to see scale on that and just love to see people just cooking more at home and, and uh, enjoying the experience. Well, good news for you. I don't think there's ever going to be a shortage of people interested in eating. Uh, so that there you go. It's, it's a, it's a long-term vision. So anyways, well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on Nadine. It's great to talk to you. And we'll, we'll obviously talk more soon. So thank you. All the best. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.